podcast is brought to you by Welcome to another edition of Watch This or Die podcast, your weekly fix for quality movie recommendations. I'm Scott Crowshar. And I'm Matt LaPlante. And we will be your hosts on this cinematic voyage. Now, it is our goal every week to recommend to you a movie that we not only fucking love, but one that we're pretty damn sure you will too. So over the next 100 minutes or so, we're going to do our very best to convince you to go and check out this movie like your life depends on it. Now, without further ado, the movie that we are recommending to you this week is Unbreakable. 737 crashes on takeoff. 172 die. No survivors. A hotel fire downtown. 211 die. No survivors. An East Rail train derails seven and a half miles outside the city. 131 die. One survivor. I got a card from this store. This one was under the windshield wiper of my car. I've studied the form of comics intimately. The city has seen its share of disasters. Then one day I saw a news story about a train accident. There is a sole survivor, and he is miraculously unharmed. I know what's going through your mind right now. You're searching for meaning in all of this. No one thing. 131 people died so you could finally understand the destiny for which you were born. Are you ready for the truth? Beware of comic book collecting men with fragile bones because they just might be in search of their arch nemesis and are willing to sacrifice hundreds of lives to include yours in order to find them. As we say goodbye to August and wrap up our sci-fi fantasy month, we thought we'd dive into the superhero genre by recommending a film that's not your typical superhero movie, but maybe one of the best ones ever made. We are talking about Unbreakable from the enigmatic and polarizing director M. Night Shyamalama Ding Dong. I believe that's his real last name. He just shortened yeah, it professionally like, to Shyamalama. Yeah, yeah. It got easier. Wouldn't that be great though, if that really was his last name? <laughs> his real last name was Shyamalama Ding Dong and you're just like, hmm. You, you almost have like a new respect for him, wouldn't you? Just a little bit. <laughs> now I see where all those dark stories come from because how hard it must be to be named Shamalama Ding Dong and live in Philadelphia. Can't yeah. can't have been easy. At least we don't have like uh, directors that change their names like multiple times like some, some musicians do. Outside of Prince, he's the only one you get away with Yes. It. You mean like Oh, Puff Daddy. What's he going by now, Pete? It was P. Diddy. God, no. And then I think he went Puff back. Puff Daddy. <laughs> I think it's Cheese Puffs now or Puffy Nipples. Oh, I don't even know what he is anymore. I think it's Puffy Nipples. I like Puffy Nipples. <laughs> 
Sean Combs is now known as Puffy Nipples from now on. <laughs> uh, anyways, this is a fantastic movie. Fantastic movie. Who would have known when this came out 21 years ago that it would eventually spark a trilogy? For those of you who don't know, I don't know how you don't know, but there are two movies that do follow this movie. The first being Split, which was fantastic in and of itself because it wasn't until the end of the movie. Was it before? Yeah, like after was it the credit after? Roll? I thought it was after or the credit roll. Like during, yeah, like a or at least during, scene. yeah, somewhere close, you got a special little scene that suddenly you knew that you were tied into this world. And then, of course, they came out with Glass, where they just fully on did it. But all, I liked all three movies. This one, though, being the best, it was just fantastic. And this launched before the dawn of all of these superhero movies. This came out in 2000, right around the time that they were just launching the X-Men series. Like, the X-Men came out in 2000. So, yeah, this this is prior to all that. Yeah, all you know. This was you know before we've gotten out. Well, now everyone has got a, a movie. Right, and those of you listening to it currently, the new Spider-Man trailer just came out. It's weird to look back that 21 years ago, a movie like this completely breaks the mold of the genre. You know, there's no movies really like this. There's shows out now that are I don't want to say anti-hero, but but not your standard you know superhero fare. Much like. The Umbrella Academy, or even especially one of my favorites, The Boys, they're just different. They're not your run-of-the-mill. But this, when it first came out, he was riding the coattails of his highly successful debut being The Sixth Sense. Brought back Mr. Bruce Willis for it, and... I don't think this got the credit it deserved for being such a groundbreaking and amazing film. I think people were still expecting it to be some kind of supernatural thriller. I agree. Given what they got from his debut, that's definitely what people I feel like wanted. And I feel like this is, was underappreciated then and it became kind of like a little cult classic. I would agree. It's it's a phenomenal, phenomenal anti-superhero movie, really. It's an origin story unlike most origin stories that we have been given as far as the superhero genres go. Not many stories, you know, lead you into it being a very realistic version of superhero movies where our characters we meet, we have no idea really that they are superheroes or even in the vein of probably superheroes and they don't have outwardly grandiose powers uh so the characters we'll be talking about in a few minutes none of them not the villain not the hero have these grandiose powers they just are maybe a step above being superhuman yeah it's very ground it's grounded yeah, very it's... grounded it's not like you know he can fucking throw hammers across the world and hit people or yeah, not a fly God. or anything like that yeah exactly <laughs> there's something about him that just makes him better than you just by a hair honestly so we should just jump into it because it's, it's hard to talk about it without diving in to talk about this film. A security guard is the sole survivor of a horrific train crash. After the incident, with the help of a manipulative, disabled comic book shop owner, he learns that he possesses superhuman powers in M. Night Shyamalan's superhero thriller, Unbreakable. Are you ready for the truth? I believe comic book heroes walk the earth. I believe you're one of those individuals. I'm just an ordinary man. No, you're not. Why do you keep saying that? It's hard for many to believe they're extraordinary things inside themselves. Don't worry. I'm not telling you what. It's all right to be afraid, David. Because this part won't be like a comic book.
is winning. It's time for someone like you. Unbreakable. I bet my dad could beat up your dad. This movie, as I said, came out in 2000. Written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Starring, as we said, Bruce Willis with Samuel L. Jackson. At the time, it would have been their third movie together. They had done, obviously, Pulp Fiction. And they had done Die Hard 3, Die Hard with a Vengeance. And now this makes their Great third movie. mark. Yeah. Then they don't work again together until Glass, almost 20 years later. And also at the time, starred the wife of Sean Penn, Mrs. Robin Wright Penn. It's funny to see her name as <laughs> Robin Wright Penn, and then like, but like be so disassociated with the pen since she's dropped it finally for, it took her a while taking it off. I think yeah. it did, yeah. Ah, I mean, She hey. kept it for a little while. And they, and they had their, their kid together, if I'm not mistaken. He's the one who's the actor now, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Dylan, maybe? We we talked about him one time in a movie. We weren't that impressed with him. I forget what it was. I, I feel like it was a Nicolas Cage movie, but I can't remember now. I'll have to go back and research that yeah. later. So she's in it. Spencer Treat Clark and Charlene Woodard are the stars of this film. It was made on a budget of $75 million and grossed $248 million, which is a hefty change. I think a lot of it uh, was gross based on the fact of people thinking they were going to get another six cents. I actually enjoyed this, and we've talked about this, I think. This is my favorite movie of his. This is his best movie he's made. I absolutely love Unbreakable. It is a fucking classic. However, the people at IMDb disagree. They, You know what? You guessed close last week. Uh, what, is, what, do you, what do you think the numbers are this week? Give it a, give it a run. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a limb and say it's possibly higher than last week, so 7-2. <laughs> No. You know what? It's 7-3. Like, you missed it by one last week. It was 7-2. Seven, <laughs> seven, this one like, is 7. Yeah. It's 7.3. It. However, even critics and the audience felt the same. Critics gave it a 70 on Rotten Tomatoes and audience a 77. I honestly don't know what they're watching. I believe, like, movies like Ant-Man and some other ones that, that are fun but aren't great probably have a higher score. Where this is a much, much better movie than a lot of those. And I feel like some of it has to do with with the critics. I feel like it's because they don't feel like it was as surprising as his Sixth Sense. And I feel the same for the audience as they, once again, go into the movie not knowing it's a superhero movie. Because they don't tout that in the film, in the trailer. It's not touted as a superhero movie. You know, it's touted as like almost like this, I don't want to say fantasy, but definitely sci-fi where it may be something mystical where, you know, you find out that he survived, you know, you know, Samuel Jackson's character has that line of dialogue where like all these people have died in all these horrific accents, but he was listening for this very specific thing where one man has survived and no other survivors. And so at the time you start thinking, well, oh, it's, there's going to be a twist here at the end as to why he's, he's able to survive these things making him unbreakable, making it more of a sci-fi type thing as opposed to a superhero film because it's not, it's definitely wasn't marketed as a superhero movie, which I think probably hurt it. This is Mr. Shyamalan's personal favorite movie that he's made. He absolutely loves this movie. This is his favorite movie that he's made. Do you know who else his favorite movie? One of their favorite movies it is. Is it a cutie? <laughs> yes. A yeah. cutie? Yes. It's a, it's a PTA cutie. CBs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the CBs. <laughs> it's uh, Quentin Tarantino. It's one of his favorite films. Now, we talked about this a couple months back or a couple episodes back. I can't remember which. But most movies are not shot in sequence. Most movies are shot out of sequence. When you have either a soundstage or a set or a location, you get everything that's in the script set for that area shot in that time. You don't 
come back to it. So anything you see in movies, like, uh, for instance, Pulp Fiction. In Pulp Fiction in the movie, you see the honey and pumpkin thing to yeah, open the film, on. and then they come back to it when they're actually there having the, the breakfast, which de- technically ends the movie. That's all shot in one at one spot. They don't come, ba- they don't like shoot this and then come back to it later. They shoot it all there. Everything is shot where it is in location. This movie, however, was actually shot in sequence, and I found that to be very interesting. I found it to be very cool, actually. And so that means that they would go back to places, like they're at a stadium a couple of times, and they keep, you know, so it's kind of cool that they would leave, and they kept shooting the whole thing in sequence. And I wonder if that, you know, helped with the film for the actors by you're discovering it as you're going, as opposed to, you know, you may shoot the beginning and the end at the same time, you know, like within the same part of each other and then shoot the middle. So you may already know how everything ends and you got to try to, you know, work your way through it as you're acting, you know, without giving away emotionally what's going to happen in the end. So I think that probably helped this movie be the fantastic movie that it is being shot in sequence, giving the actors the ability to get surprised as they went along. You know, I wonder how much of the script they knew until they got there. You know, I, I wonder how much M. Light gave them. Yeah, they'd be smart to kind of go with it that way, to like give him uh, bits and pieces. Because I'm sure at the time, you know, it's kind of like a running joke that his scripts are so secret. Even Entourage played a, like, did a, like an episode dedicated to it where um, Matt Dillon's brother there, or no, Ari, Ari loses a script. That's M. Night Shyamalan's script, can't find it anywhere. Has is like he fucking uh, watermarked all the pages of his name. <laughs> so good. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that was like a running real. Yeah, like thing a real thing that they just kind of played that they yeah. like or like oh, okay. We're well, it's what supposed to be shot by. It was supposed to be a loose interpretation of Mark Wahlberg's rise to fame, and he is the producer of the yeah, show, he is and the he is in a movie of M Night Shyamalan's, a uh, terrible one, but in one nonetheless, fantastic one. Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic, all right. Terrible. Now, in the movie, there is a scene at the stadium where David Dunn, who is played by Bruce Willis, works at. And we're going to get into what some of his powers are, but a mother brushes past him in a child, and he senses that there's child abuse. From what I researched, this is believed to be Kevin Crumb, who is in the movie Split, who ends up being the beast in the movie Split. It's pretty cool. I mean, that's 16 years prior to that movie coming out, which is a long time. I didn't find anything in my research that said he had this planned as a trilogy in the beginning. Because technically, the way this movie ends, it could just end as is. You don't technically need to add anything to it. However, going back and rewatching the movie now, knowing that there are two movies that came afterwards, it does seem like he planted some seeds in the movie that there was possibly going to be at least a sequel. I don't know about two but at least a sequel. Like, when you go back and watch it, you go, wow, there's a lot of stuff in this that he definitely planted to yeah, include, I like, think the he... first comic book that he gets, Mr. Mr. Glass, the first comic book he gets, the villain on the front, they believe, is the genesis of who the Beast becomes. That is kind of, like, foreshadowing that this is who David Dunn will eventually have to fight in the third movie, being the Beast. You know, like, there's a whole... A whole mythology that was set in front of us 16 years prior that really do tie in really, really well. Yeah, I kind of feel like he just planted breadcrumbs for something that maybe he might possibly want to do eventually. I don't think he ever had the intention that it would happen this way. The final film, uh, alphabetically, on my top 20 list is M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong's Unbreakable, which I actually think, um, one, not only has... Bruce Willis's best performance uh, on film that he's ever given. I think he's absolutely magnificent in the film. Um, it also is a 
brilliant retelling of the Superman mythology. Um, in fact, so much so that I've, uh, to me the film was very obscure when it came out as far as what it was about. Um, I actually think they, they, they did themselves a disservice because you can actually break down what the film was about by basically one sentence that I think would have proved far more intriguing than their ad campaign, which is basically, what if Superman was here on Earth and didn't know he was Superman, which is what the film is about. Of course, you don't know that until you actually you see the movie. Anyway, Unbreakable is, uh, I, I actually think, one of the masterpieces of our time. The top five reasons to watch this movie. Number one. The opening character intro. We have two scenes. We start off in, it looks like, I want to say the late 60s, mid to late 60s. We are introduced to Samuel L. Jackson's character, who we will come to know as Mr. Glass. That's what the kids will affectionately come to know him. He has just been born in the changing room of a department store in Philadelphia. He's crying as a little baby, and they bring in a doctor, but he comes in wondering if someone's dropped a baby or hurt the baby, and everyone's like, no. And he's like, call the hospital. We're on our way. Um, The baby was born with two broken arms and two broken legs. So we learn that the character played with Samuel Jackson has osteogenesis imperfecta. It is a real but rare disease. It is actually caused by defective genes. These genes affect how the body makes collagen, a protein that helps strengthen bones. Treatment can help, but this condition cannot be cured. So anyone who has this, to include Samuel Jackson's character, have very brittle bones. And any minor fall, bump, anything can cause horrific fractures to whatever part of the body. Imagine getting punched in the face. It probably shatter your fucking skull on the side you get punched. Oh, my God, yeah. You know, if like, it's, it's a head, very so, yeah. dangerous, very dangerous disease yeah. to have. Very, Especially in Philadelphia, scary. Pennsylvania. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, he lived in inner city Philadelphia. That could not have been easy fucking go. Not an, not Holy shit, man. That's fucking awful. I can't imagine it. Yeah, what is he up to? Like, 59 breaks? Oh, yeah. Has, yeah. Some of like them, the count. Yeah. It's un- I mean, he has an accent in the film. This is Mr. Matheson. He's a doctor. Are you okay? An ambulance is on the way. Thank you. Is there a name yet? Elijah. Is he supposed to be crying like this? quick. The baby just wanted to come right out. And there were no problems. Did you drop him? What? Did you drop this baby? Jesus Christ, no. Inform the ambulance that we have a situation. Um, Ma'am? I've never seen this. 
It appears that your baby has sustained some fractures while inside your uterus. His arms and his legs are broken. <laughs> So we get his little intro, and then we meet Mr. David Dunn, played by Bruce Willis. This is many years down the road, almost 30 years, it feels like. He is on a train coming back from New York to Philadelphia. It's very uh, interesting how they set him up, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But when we first meet him, he's sit- and it's a great shot. It's like we're sitting, there's like a little girl sitting on the train looking through the between the two seats. And it's almost like we're watching it from her perspective. But it's weird because she wouldn't understand anything that's going on. So this attractive woman comes and sits down next to him. And he takes his wedding ring off and puts it in his pocket. So right off the bat, we go, huh. You know, you start to make assumptions about yeah. him right then and there. Yeah. Now, having having the knowledge of seeing the movie many times, rewatching it, knowing what, you know, like knowing some of the backstory once you get after you've seen the movie, you, you see it differently. You know, like the first time you see it, you go, oh, you're already like, oh, how we're supposed to like this guy, I think, right? Like, we're supposed to be like, yeah, we're supposed to be it, it for this it guy. Makes him, it makes him very hard to be likable. I, even that and, like, the whole beginning act of it, because even then, like, everything that happens after the yeah. opening act with it, it makes him still, like, well, like yes and no. Ivor's well, guilt in that almost team up against him. Yeah. I feel like to make you not, like, you're not really rooting for him. Yes. It, well, it makes him an imperfect hero, which is nice. You know what I mean? It makes, yeah. you know. Oh, definitely. Like, here's the funny thing. If you think about heroes, you know, Superman, everyone, you know, he's the Boy Scout, which I've always had a problem with. I wish they would they would darken him up a bit and him being my favorite hero. But I wish they would darken him up a tad. He's too, it's too Boy Scouty for me sometimes. But Batman, think about Batman. <laughs> As an audience member, we are totally okay with him basically being a vigilante psycho, just a full-on fallen-down psycho, he'll kill, destroy whatever. I mean, obviously the Tim Burton version, not the cancer, throw, I won't hurt anybody version that we got. But most of Batman, especially the Dark Knight version, is he is just out for vengeance. He is he was wronged. His parents were killed by criminals, and he will spend all his money not to help people, not to have better education, yeah. but to fund his ability to be a vigilante and kill people. Yeah. And in the theater, we're all like, absolutely, you go do it, Batman. He is far worse than David Dunn. And all, all David Dunn does is take off his ring because a pretty girl sitting next to him. And we're like, what a piece of shit. But Batman's like <laughs> setting people on fire, running them over, killing them, especially in the Tim Burton <laughs> version. And we're like, well, I mean, his parents were killed. What's he supposed to do? You know what I mean? Like we're we yeah. totally are okay with no, it. It's such a just, such a huge still, double standard. He's, he's still just getting rid of that uh that that grief. That grief yeah. that his parents. It's been murdered. like thirty some years. Like, dude, move on already. Jesus Christ. Whoever killed his parents probably went to jail. I, I'm sorry, I don't know the full story of uh It depends. It depends on which story like, it goes. Which, yeah. Yeah. They survived or didn't, da 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 da. But yeah, like you know that something justice has been done for them. No, no, he's just still on a rampage. Yeah. Forever. It, it's just ridiculous. It just, it's just so, anyways. So he gets on a train, and if you've seen the trailer or know anything about this movie, this train eventually derails. And when it derails, it kills every passenger on board except for him. Not only is he not killed, he doesn't even have a scratch on him. Like there is nothing, not, not a bloody nose, not a nick, nothing, not a mosquito bite, you nothing. Clothes managed to survive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is like, he is in impeccable condition. He's impeccable. 
Hi. I'm Dr. Dubin. You're in the emergency room in the Philadelphia City Hospital. You're in a serious accident. Look at me. How are you feeling? Okay. Good. I'm gonna ask you some questions. Have you ever had any heart or asthma problems in the past? No. Kidney or renal problems? No. Any allergies? Sitting on the train. Against the window. In the passenger car? Yeah. Where are the other passengers? Was your family traveling with you? Did you get up from your seat? Are you certain you were in the passenger car? Yes. Why are you looking at me like that? Your train derailed. Some kind of malfunction. They only found two people alive so far. You and this man. His skull was cracked open and most of his left side was crushed. And to answer your question, there are two reasons why I'm looking at you like this. One, because it seems in a few minutes that you will officially be the only survivor of this train wreck. And two, because you didn't break one bone. You don't have a scratch on you. A big trope that is used in superhero movies is a lot of times they use alliteration for the heroes. For example, Peter Parker, Bruce Banner, Matt Murdock, Reed Richards. In this story, it's David Dunn. David Dunn falls into that trope. So it's very common for the secret identities of these comic book heroes to have these alliterative names. Even villains at times, too, with Lex Luthor. Alliteration is huge in the comic book world. Also in the comic books... Characters are identified through color schemes, and that is evident immediately as this movie starts. David's color scheme is green. Elijah, played by Samuel Jackson, is purple, and they show up immediately. So when Elijah is actually born in the opening sequence, his mother is wearing a purple outfit. When we see David, he is wearing green. He wears green all the time, whether it's button-up shirt or whether it's this coat that we'll get into that he wears almost like a cape. So they always have a color scheme of green and purple. It runs throughout the entire film. We're talking even the wallpaper in the rooms and the houses, the bed sheets, everything. Elijah eventually leaves David a note, which is how they meet. It's also written with purple ink in a purple envelope. They go further with this. So as I said, Samuel Jackson's character is eventually nicknamed Mr. Glass by the kids who pick on him because he, he just breaks so easily. When the movie starts, we see him born. They shoot this through the mirror in the changing room as opposed to seeing it with our own eyes. In another scene, they do that again. We don't see him. We see his reflection in the TV screen. When he leaves his calling card, it's on the windshield 
of David's car. He's reflected in a glass frame in his art gallery the first time we see him when he's talking about a picture. And he also has a walking stick that is made of glass. That was an actual nod that Mr. Samuel Jackson decided himself. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. M. Night went through a huge thing to really, really tell the story. And as we've said before, I love the attention to detail, the minor details that some people just don't see, but that is absolutely intentional. If you're paying attention to it, you see it. It's always thrown in your face. Back on the color schemes, purple and green are the color schemes. Purple for Mr. Glass, green for David. And the reason I bring that up is when we find out later on, this is how David isn't the big piece that you think he is. When we later find out he gets home, we find out that him and his wife have not been practically sleeping in the same room for quite some time. Something has happened, and they are on the outs. He went to New York to get a job and move, and basically they were getting ready to split up. She's a bit cold, and it seems like it might have been her idea. We never know why they really are breaking up. Just that things yeah, that they, they just they've just they grown apart. One reason of her asking him like when he thought he saw trouble. Yeah. And it was like he said that he had a nightmare and he wanted to tell her about it to like comfort him. Yeah, he didn't um, wake but that's her up. really that's yeah. all that they allude to. So we get the feeling that she has kind of been the instigator. Now with that in context, you look back at him taking off the ring, and it seemed like he just kept the ring on because he hadn't fully accepted that it was over between them. So you do have a little difference. Now, for the longest time after seeing that, I thought that's exactly what it was. I wasn't blaming on Robin, but I thought it was definitely her idea that he sleep in a different room, that he, you know, kind of leave her alone, that maybe it's best if he looked for a job somewhere else. And like even when she says to him later, you know, if you want, you can ask me out. So almost gave a feeling like it was her decision to do so. However, if you watch the movie, I changed my mind this last watch, and I'll explain. It all comes back to the color schemes. David wears green in every single scene except one. When he goes on the date with her, he is wearing purple. He's wearing a purple button-up shirt. That is M. Night Shyamalan's nod to us. That in this relationship, the person most responsible for it probably falling apart without telling us what he did or didn't do is David because it's the only time in this film that he is not wearing green, that he is not the hero. It is in that moment that I, I, I caught it the last time we watched it. I was like, holy shit. It was unbelievable. I was just sitting there going, those whole time for years, I was like, man, Robin Wright's a cold bitch. Man, she is lucky that he survived. Like, how dare she? And then all of a sudden, and then Sean was like, look, motherfucker, you paying attention? And I saw the purple shirt, and I was like, and it's not like it's a bright purple shirt. It's almost a very muted light purple, almost like a violet, a lavender. Like, it's very mute purple. But he's wearing a purple shirt, and he wears green every scene except for that one. And that was the moment I was like, holy shit. Shit. He just told us without telling us what happened that David is definitely the reason or at least the start of why yeah. they aren't aren't working. It doesn't mean he cheated on her or did anything. It's just letting us know that in this situation, even though it's coming across like Robin Wright is the like maybe this, you know, stuffy, cold, you know, heartless bitch who now suddenly is having a change heart because he survived a horrific accident that he has no business, <laughs> let alone walking away from, but not having any damage to him. Um <laughs> That all of a sudden he's in that purple shirt and I'm like, holy shit. Like it was like a like a glass of cold water to my face. All of a sudden I was like, holy shit, 20 some years of, of of judging this poor woman. I was like, Yeah, I was wrong. Oh my God. 
That was I was extremely wrong. Yeah, and wear the bad color, like uh, as it was like this was the village pretty much. So he did use again his use of uh, using colors for major symbolism. So he's showing that he's the villain in this relationship. We had very specific colors for each character. Sam Jackson had his purple color. David Dunn had you know his green color. We introduced. Uh, in the final sequence, or the sequence that leads up to the final sequence, um, color that started out as sort of muted color and then became stronger as David Dunn uh, starts to perceive his powers. When we see David Dunn in the train, there's that little girl when the camera's going back and forth. She was a color pop, you know, in that bright yellow. So we used sort of the comic book idea of color pops and tried to choreograph it I suppose really so that you had always this sort of little interesting thing that you were drawn to that could be a signal or a, something of importance number two and that is the bench press sequence and that lasts five seven minutes yeah roughly it is the coolest showing of a scene. person's powers <laughs> that they've done in really in superhero movies because it's so grounded it's not like you know, one minute you wake up and like you just lift a car like you're on a giant, like, you know, out of the blue, like I can just lift a car or pick it up and throw it or so, you know what I mean? Like, it's none of those crazy, like, like all of a sudden the superpower just logs in half like Captain yeah, America. Exactly. He's just, you know, he's not <laughs> blocking bullets with his eyeball or something crazy or suddenly, you know, bursting into speed and just outrunning everybody. He is downstairs and he's lifting weights like he himself is starting to think there's maybe there is something to it. Like he's 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 testing it. Like, I think a lot of us would, but he's testing it very gingerly. You know what I mean? Like, he's not like, hit me yeah. with a car. You know, see what I can handle. Yeah, at first, you, I think, what, he gets up to like 115 and he's like pretty shocked. I think it was like, no, I think it was like two something. It was like, it was like in the twos. No, the total he gets to, I think it's like three, 300 something. Three, like around 350. Yeah, three and 350. But he's never benched that before. And so like, yeah. and as he's benching, he's like, He's realizing like, like it's really not that hard. Like he's and even when he gets to three fifty, he struggles a little bit, but not that hard for him. You know, like we don't know how much he could go, but that's all he could find. And he, even he was kind of like, huh. You know, and he even tells yeah, his son, he just... goes, he goes, when I lift this, if something happens, what do you do? And I love when he goes, get mom. It's like what to call a hearse? Like <laughs> if he if he's not what we think he is and he drops us on him and it crushes him, mom's not helping him, not being mean to her. But she's got to like roll it off of him and hope that it doesn't crush him. You know, like he's yeah. he's fucked. <laughs> he's fucked if this comes down on him. Because his son's not saving him. His son's not saving him at all. But it's such a cool scene because most times, like we talked about, when superpowers come, like even when Superman realizes he is, you know, what is he coming home from school that one day? Like he's racing the train and then he's like jumping yeah. high in the air. You know, like it's such an over, overly dramatic expression of their powers that we're like, okay, yeah, we get it. They're, they're fucking superheroes. We get it. You know, like when the Flash does, like he's running and everything's in slow motion and you're like, it's cool, but you're like, okay, it's like powers you can't imagine. Meanwhile, this guy is just like, he doesn't really want to believe it. Like, he's kind of blocked himself off from all the signs that have been there for his entire life of him being pretty much impervious. Like, he's even asked, he goes, when's the last time I had a cold or was sick? And he hasn't been sick yeah, in for a very long time. He's like, when's the last time I broke a bone or hurt myself? And then there's always, like, there's this injury that he sustains in a car accident in college, which we learn is like a fake, you know? Anybody who is a fan of the show Community, <laughs> the great Childish Gambino 
plays Troy in it. Donald and Gullen. Troy fakes an injury because he's tired of being – he fakes an injury during a keg stand at a party because he <laughs> yeah. can't handle the pressure of being the quarterback in college. So it felt like that moment. Like he fake, like he basically fakes this injury so that he can live a normal life. This was like that one moment where he saves her in this car accident. He's completely fine, which in that flashback, was he not thrown through the windshield? He's like he's 100 yards. Yeah, he's yeah. out of the car. Again, not a scratch on him. No blood. And he saves her. And I love the paramedics like, sir, are you injured? And he just kind of sits there for a moment. He's like, no, oh, I'm, I'm not. But yeah, yeah. But I, yeah, I think my shoulder hurts or something like some bullshit he, he gets. So great. And he rips the door off. My question for you is he benches 350. If you think you have that kind of strength, would you have kept going? Would you have, like, set it down and go, let's go to Gold's Gym? Like, like how far would you yeah. have gone? You know what I mean? Like, I think that he chose a safe route. He chose a smart route of going. Absolutely. I mean, he started slow. But once yeah. you've reached the limit of what you have in your house, is there a you part of going. you, is that ego part you go, Right, we gotta go. We gotta go someplace else. We gotta go to a place that has more weights. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I would have probably just let's bet. Let's go somewhere and bet on me. I'm gonna. You're gonna. We're gonna go somewhere and you're gonna bet on me. We're gonna get some money. Would you though find out how much you could get to before you did the betting thing? You know what I mean? Like having like that. Oh little, yeah, yeah. That car, like, <laughs> like you don't go. I think I can bench 600 pounds, and you and you're like the last time we did it was like only 475. Like that's a lot of extra weight to be like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, whoo. Uh, let's see. So once you realize that now you've got some strength, when do you start to go? Oh, what else? What else do I have? There's got to be a point. Like he's very slow about it. He. He's almost scared to admit that he could have this stuff. Like, there's a lot about it that frightens him. He's afraid of finding out, like, that he is, like, invincible. And, uh, yeah, it's almost like, like he's looking for the reason why to disprove everything. And I think his son's yeah. eagerness to be like, no. His son's all in. Yeah. Like, he's you, all you're, in. You're, yeah. Like and his you're, son's yeah, like, you're fucking Superman. Like, you are yeah, Superman. exactly. He's like, do you understand? You're Superman. And yeah, and I think even that, like how into his son is, it's freaking him out even more. Yes, but in a good way. Like 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 in an yeah. awestruck. Like like his son is like, oh, my dad is cool. Like I think all little kids, if you have a decent dad, again, I, those who don't have a dad who puts cigarettes out on him and beats him and stuff like that, you know, they might look up to their father at first. And he's like, he's the superhero. He's the greatest person in the world. How many times in school people are like, my dad will kick your dad's ass? You know, all those stupid little fucking things that people would say. However, this guy's dad could kick your ass. Yeah. Like, because he tricks him. He's like, yeah, I took I took some off. And then he's like, I lied. I put more on. And then, like, it was at that moment yeah, that Bruce that's, Willis that's is like, he's upset. Part. But he's not upset because he's like, holy shit. Like, even he's starting to build. And, like, when he's hiding in the bag, he's like, what happens if, you know, something goes wrong? He is like this. Like, he's real. Like, it's almost like in his yeah, mind. Like, oh, my God. He's solidifying it for him. Like, it's, yeah, it's so funny. I love when... Uh, he asked him how much he takes on. He's like, I didn't. <laughs> He's like, I added. <laughs> I, I put more on. Like, yeah, it's it is, it's so good. They have great chemistry between two of them. But that also goes to show just how strong he is because he doesn't notice. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't notice it getting lighter, yeah. and he didn't notice it getting heavier. He just noticed he could put it up. That's yeah. kind of crazy, too. Like, this, that's that, where it, that little statement when the, it kind of slides by people, but it really does say, like, I'm really strong. <laughs> like, like I didn't know yeah, she didn't take any off. He like, feel it. no yeah. one's sitting on the bench press and is done 200. And then someone puts 50 on and goes, you, How much you take off? Like, you notice if it's lighter than 200 pounds and you notice <laughs> if it's higher than 200 pounds. It's not like, Oh, no this change. is really easy. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. The bar is empty. <sighs> Oh, 
How much did you put on there? You put too much. That's 250 pounds. How much can you lift? That's the most I ever lifted. That could have been dangerous, Joseph. Why don't you go upstairs now and let me finish up, okay? I'll take it off. I'll help you right. You think you could have beaten up Bruce Lee? No. I mean, if you knew karate. No. What if he wasn't allowed to kick and you were really mad at him? No, Joseph. Now it's his son's eagerness to prove that he's Superman that leads us to the third reason you should watch this movie. Number three. And that is simply called the gun standoff. There is a moment <laughs> where at breakfast, his son suddenly shows up with his revolver and it's aiming it at him. And he is going to shoot him to prove to him that he cannot be injured. It is a fucking tense scene. Like it is really tense because... You so do tense. not know which way it's going to go. You don't know yeah. how this is going to go. Like, in your mind, like, you're 50-50. You're like, they're not going to have him shoot him. Then you're like, oh, shit, they might have him shoot him. Like, you really don't know. And even part of you is like, I don't want him to shoot him. Then you're like, I kind of want him to shoot him. Like, you, even you are kind of curious as to, can he survive a bullet? Did you know that this is actually from an actual thing that happened? No. Yes. So. George Rees, who was the original TV yes. version okay, of Superman. Yeah, had a little kid try to was come up once confronted by a child who threatened to shoot him with a real gun because he believed that he really was Superman and he happened to be in the Superman costume. So he must have been in an event. The only way he kept from getting shot is he convinced the boy to put the gun down because he said, if you shoot me, the bullet will ricochet off me and might kill someone else. That's the only reason that George Reeves is still alive. Still, well, not anymore. Stay alive is because he was able to convince the kid that, yes, I am Superman. You're right. I will not be hurt, but someone else will be, and you don't want to be responsible for that. So the boy put it down. Did anybody let that boy know when he shot himself in the head? Right, Jesus. What would you do if your son came in with a gun and believed that you wouldn't be hurt? 
how do you talk him down? Like uh, when you when you have a kid who one hundred percent believes that he if yeah. he shoots you you you're invincible. How do you handle that? Like believes he handled it in the season in the show just like kind of what he did. He said, "You're right. The if George you shoot Reeves. me." I won't be hurt, but then I'm packing myself and I'm leaving. I am moving because we no longer have the trust and for, you know, whatever it was like, he really worked the mind game on him. But for a minute there, he was like, he's very calm about it. He was like, don't worry, dad. It's going to be okay. You're going to be all right. Yes. <laughs> like, it's fucking intense. It's very tense. Joseph, what the hell are you doing? Oh my God. You don't believe I'll show you. You can't get hurt. That gun's not loaded. That's not where I keep the bullets. I'm your Rookie of the Year trophy. Joseph, did you load that gun? You won't get hurt. Elijah was wrong. When did he meet Elijah? He was with me when I met him. No one believes him. Joseph, listen to me. Sometimes when people get sick or hurt for a long time, like Elijah, their mind gets hurt too. When they start to think things that aren't true, he told me what he thought about your father. It isn't true. I'll show you. Do you remember the story about the, about the boy that almost drowned in the pool? That was me they were talking about. I almost died. That was me. I'm not lying, okay? I just didn't remember it, that's Joseph, all. You know your father was injured in college. You know that. You know all about that. Don't do it. He'll die, Joseph. I'll just shoot him once. Joseph, listen to what your mother. <laughs> Don't be scared. Joseph, if you pull that trigger, I'm going to leave. Do you understand? I'm going to go to New York. You're right. If you pull that trigger, that bullet is just going to bounce off me, and I'm not going to be hurt. But then I'm going to go upstairs, and I'm going to pack, and I'm going to leave for New York. Because I thought we were just starting to be friends for real. And friends listen to each other. They don't, they, they, and they don't shoot each other. Uh, uh, do they, Audrey? No shooting friends, Joseph. Joseph! You are about to be in big trouble! Now, I am your father, and I am telling you to put that goddamn gun down right now! One! Two! <gasps> Uh, that was the one thing going back and watching this, remembering, of course, the amazing film <laughs> happening, being his first R-rated film. This was like really pushing the limit because I feel like if this came out nowadays, it would definitely. Oh, it, yeah. you know, oh, well, God, there's yes. no swearing, yes. but just based on tone. This definitely could would probably I feel like now would be rated R. I wonder when he was writing this if he how would he play it? You know what I mean? Like I wonder if he actually toyed with it in his mind. If I just have the character shoot him, how do I play this? Am I willing to go as far as saying that he is invincible with the bullets like a Superman? Or am I not willing to go that far? You know, because he survived the train accident. So in that theory, you think there's no way a bullet's hurting him. You know, like right. what, whatever happened when that train derailment. How, how yeah, how he, he got like, yeah. hit by so he was much thrown through so a car and he just got up and dusted himself off and pulled the woman out. You know, the most he'll get is a concussion. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I feel like he wouldn't be hurt. Like there's so much at points so he wouldn't be. I don't think he would. And I, I'm trying to think if in. Glass. If at any point he ever gets uh, like no, hit he by a straight bullet or anything, no, I don't think he does. No, 
And I don't, I don't think he gets um, shot either. I don't think there's any of that but when they had that final fight. Yeah. Definitely feel like he would uh, would easily uh, would have survived it. And again, it's awesome that the way they handle the scene and don't show it because then it makes your it makes your mind again build so much more because then you're you're thinking what what would happen like is it going to be like full like Superman where it like doesn't even like touch his skin completely kind of just stops and like completely compresses or ricochets off that's what's different with Superman it's like the bullet that hits him in the eye fucking like collapses he gets hit in the fucking chest they're like bouncing all over the fucking goddamn place like what what's the difference between the two surfaces <laughs> um, <laughs> like, the special effects they wanted to show that's the difference this went, or is he like like Wolverine, where the bullet goes in, but his body pops it back the fuck out. You know yeah, what I mean? Just, like he gets yeah, pissed like off. He just, like yeah, he pokes like he at the bear. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, but it makes it great because then it does, it plays into your mind thinking, of like, well, what would have fucking happened? Or would he have shot him and he's just like, nope, that. that <laughs> dead. Him. Yeah. Like, like, bam. <laughs> he's dead. Down. <laughs> fucking <Yep>. movie ends. <laughs> so depressing. <laughs> the credit roll just uh, continues over them standing. It turns in the into kitchen. like a murder suicide. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh he God. kills his dad, can't handle it, shoots himself. Oh, oh my God. So, it's a whole so that, that 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 movie was called Breakable. That <laughs> was the original. Yeah. <laughs> they changed it. Now this movie has a, is a textbook example of the Chekhov's gun trope, which states if a weapon is shown, it must be used eventually. It is weird. I didn't think about it till doing the research and seeing it. But that night that he's in his room after all this has happened, and his son's asleep, and he goes into his closet. To look at like old clippings of him being injured. Yeah, the old news clippings of his football career. It's weird that he would grab the gun out to make sure it was there. That's the one thing. That's when we we know that he has it. Like that's it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Like when it happened, I didn't think anything about it. So now thinking, you know, it's like when you go, you go. It makes no sense that he would go and look for that gun. You know, like it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Unless, unless, like, he hid it underneath and he just wanted to make sure that it wasn't, you know, was there or whatever. And then he's like, well, don't worry, I don't, I don't keep it loaded. But his son loaded it. Like, it's like, holy shit. Like, this kid was, this yeah. kid was ready. Like, <laughs> he clearly holy did a loaded, shitty too. job. And this it was is, like, if the... <laughs> so his son not only knew where the gun was, that he had one, but he knew where to get the fucking bullets. And he fucking loaded it. Like, <laughs> it's fucking insanity, yeah. you know? It's, it's fucking crazy. Yeah, I, I feel like when they showed it there, that he was checking it. I, I feel like part of him was checking it because his son's staying in the room with him and he wanted to, like, it was almost like he was checking to see if, if his son's touched it. Like if he, he could tell if it was moved or anything like that. That's what I felt during it. Or maybe he was worried that Robin's character was going to took it and was going to take him out. He's going to use it on him. Yeah. Uh, that's funny too. Cause what, like, cause Chekhov's gun is an actual gun in this where technically yeah. it's just what, a phrase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is there. It's it was just one of those things. It was kind of like it, was, it wasn't so much out of place, but looking back on it, it was just weird that he would look at. Because obviously, we one of the reasons you need to see it is because we need to know that there's a gun in the house. You know, like we can't just assume that the kid came down with the gun. Usually, there's a line of dialogue or an image of it before it gets used. It's a story trope because otherwise, then people go, well, "Where the fuck did that come from?" That becomes like convenience. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden, someone breaks into your house, you have no idea they have a gun. All of a sudden, they're able to save your family because all of a sudden they pull a shotgun out of nowhere. You're like, "Where the fuck did that come from?" You know? So yeah. that was convenient. So that's you know that's where that really that term comes from is you you want to give the audience an idea. So like we've said before, if you see it in a movie, it's gonna be it's gonna be used, especially in the first third. If someone says something like the five finger death punch, or someone shows a gun, or, right. or says they know how to do this or you got to be careful of that it's going 
going to happen. Very rarely does anyone say that, and then all of a sudden, like, no one used the five-finger death punch. And it does happen I sometimes. Know, I didn't know who you were alive. I thought you died. <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> if you say that, yep. you're going to be dead yes, by another day. Yes, yes. <laughs> snake fucking Pliskin. The curse of snake. Number four. And that is the train station sequence. David has starting to bought into that he actually has real powers. And he even yeah, talks to Elijah. And he says, what should I do? Like, he calls me and goes, I wasn't hurt. I'm, I was not hurt by this. I was not hurt by that. He goes, what do I do about it? And he's like, you need to go out in public. Because he asked him. There's a, there's a moment where a person in line at a stadium, because he's a security guard at a football stadium, he bumps him. And he just has this feeling that the guy's got a gun. So at the train station, we realize that he has another power. And that is when people touch him, he can kind of sense what they've done, things they've done. He has a sixth sense. He has a sixth sense, basically, exactly what he has. <laughs> it's really cool. It really is cool. But it this is. is where he becomes a superhero. He starts to wear his cape and cowl kind of thing. He wears a raincoat that has a hood on it and makes him look like uh, the Spectre from D.C., who is an immortal being uh, tasked with punishing the wicked. So it's kind of like he's drawing a parallel to him. Now, the other reason that this is important is that we learn that David has a kryptonite. The one time he was actually in danger, it was in the pool when he was younger. For whatever reason, and I thought this was funny, but maybe it's a real thing, but it's he, he can't help himself. When he's in the pool, if he suddenly gets excited, he actually gulps water. Like, he actually inhales fucking water, and he almost choked. He almost choked to death on it. So that's his kryptonite. So yeah. the cool thing about the fact that he's wearing this is you're not paying attention to this at all as a viewer the first time through. And you realize that every when he goes out to do his superhero, seeing if he is, it's raining and it's protecting him. Like he's wearing this raincoat. It protects him from his kryptonite, at least for a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. And when he goes, he just stands in the middle of this train station in Philadelphia and people walk by and touch him. And it follows a lot of superhero tropes, which, which wasn't a problem, but it did feel very convenient. Like every person who touched him escalated how big a piece of shit they were. You know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah. Like the first person who touched him was like... Stole a bracelet. Yeah, yeah, stole she, st- yeah she stole a necklace. Then it's like the person that like... The, yeah, that he's a racist. He threw like a bottle at this black racist, couple. Yep. Then there's the mom. And well, then no, she's the... earlier. She's before he runs yeah, into... Yeah, yeah. Because we don't get to see it. We just hear... At that point, we just hear... The screaming of the child, her being abusive to him. But yeah. then, uh, oh, then, then there's the rapist. the rapist. Oh, yeah. So you're kind of like, oh, okay. It's almost like he's trying to decide who he's going to go after. Like the lady who stole, he was kind of like, all right, not a big deal. And then the guy who threw the bottle, he was kind of like, all right, I might fuck you up. Yeah, he wanted, he definitely wanted to. He really wanted to. And then, then the rapist, he was like, and the kids, they're getting picked up by his parents. He's kind of like, this little fucker. Yeah. And then he's bumped into by, a guy wearing an orange jumpsuit, which is which, which is weird which is to be. So, that would be like, the outfit the that they used. First time watching it, I was like, "Did, did they hire prisoners?" Here? <laughs> no, like that, that's prisoner? the outfit that like, he wears. He's already gone to jail for this. Crime. So bizarre, fucking weird. But this guy has home invasion to a person's house and at least killed the father who lives there. The father, yeah. Talk about a fucking creepy scene when he's standing at the door. I like your house. Well, the great thing is, is everything is shot from like this God view. So from above. So it's not shot from yeah. the perspective of even the the, the the people involved. It's shot from above. Like we're like we're watching this. Like we're suddenly being uh, we're like a fly on the wall. Even with the rape thing, like the kid comes in and he's like, oh, you OK? And drink. Yeah, and he goes over and he closes the door. So they don't go oh, too yeah, far into things. 
All of them are, are yeah. Very and they're subtle. all shot from the gar- gar- God view because then even like the stealing yep. is from above. And so is the when the racist, like yep. he's, it's a like almost like a uh, camera attached to the Street light, light post yeah. on exactly. the corner. <laughs> yeah. So good. So fucking good. He is a fucking creepy. It was creepy. He's creepy. Very creepy. And so, like, so good though. Rewatching, I was like, fucking, I never, I was like, that door would have been fucking slammed yeah. shut so fucking fast. Well, the problem was, is it had this screen door, it wasn't locked or anything. So, the guy, I mean, the guy was stronger than him. He just pulled it open. Yeah, like, but he could have closed the other doors. He could have done something. That guy was, he was just uh, too safe. He I think he was thrown off calls. from the question, though. He's like, can I yeah. come in? And he's kind of like, can you what? He goes, can I come in? He goes, no, you can't come in. He goes, are you sure about that? And that was that. That's when I think he was like, "Oh shit!" Like this, oh, like yeah. He goes, "Uh oh." Then too late, too fucking late for this guy. Tries to hold the door like, uh, like uh, Helen Hunt's dad did in uh, holding the storm cellar door in uh, fucking uh, Twister, <laughs> Twister where, yeah. where he got ripped the fuck away. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. There. This is Helen Hunt's brother. That was her brother in the movie. He got yanked out. No, you can't come in. Are you sure? What do you? Now, the cool thing of what M. Night Shyamalan does is he doesn't show the actual criminal act. So we see him pulling the door open. The man's getting pulled out, and then we get like a scream jump cut to the man sitting on a landing dead. So we know that somehow he's been killed. We don't know how, we don't know what reason or anything else that happens. We just get that image. And it's at that moment that David is like, okay, this is the guy I got to go after. Which, what makes that somewhat of a really interesting idea is because when you watch like Superman movies, Superman hears all these things, or even Spider-Man, like he's always capturing people. But for them, it's always like one thing happening at one time. And the thing about this is now David is kind of, it's an interesting way of being a hero. He is now basically put into the arena of being a vigilante, whether he wants to or not, because he's getting everything secondhand. So everything, all these crimes aren't happening in real time. These are crimes that have happened. So we don't know how long it's been because when we do come upon, when we talk in a minute about what this man did, we're not sure how many days or weeks ago this was. We just know that it happened and that he was able to sense and see it. Much like the lady who robbed. The one who robbed just recently because she was in the same dress. And the kid isn't in the same clothes after his raping, but they're not all in the same time frame. So it forces David's superhero character to be a vigilante. He can only respond to things. He can't stop crime. He can only basically be like Batman and get revenge for the crimes that have happened. He, you know, yeah. like he has zero power <laughs> yeah. to stop a crime. Unless like he can run into somebody and realize that they just like tied them up or something, like he kidnapped them. He could help stop that. But everything else is post. It's already it's happened and he's now learning about their secrets. He knows their skeletons that they have in the closet. Is that or is that not a good superpower? It's hard to tell. Yeah. You know, like, it's one thing if you could get, like, a premonition, like, he's thinking about committing this crime. But you're like, this motherfucker's already committed this crime. Yeah, I know. It's like, I know what you did. Yeah, it's like, yeah, there's skeletons in the closet. It's like everybody's dirty secret. 
you know, so that's not a good, uh, it is a good power. It's not a good power. It's, the actual original sequel was, I know what you did last summer. That's where the, <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> in in the 16 years in between, that's what happened. He went out and he, killed he teenagers. Just beat, he beats every single one of them to death. They, they do have the same cape thing going on. Maybe he picked up a hook. Maybe he picked up yeah. a fishing hook. He could have just bent the metal himself and made it. But it's another one of those really amazing ways to show a power without it being over the fucking top. I will admit that it is a little coincidental that every person who judges him escalates their <laughs> level. Like, like it didn't come right, like right off the bat. Well, yeah, it's not right out of the gate. Like, oh, I found a murderer. I think you have to show that. I, you can't just like, you know, because then it also becomes convenient that the first person who touches you is a fucking murderer. You know what I mean? Like, it does, it yeah. is con- convenient. I just think it shows the level at which it goes. But it also shows that he's very flawed in the fact that of the four people who touch them, he has to pick the one. Like, the kid who raped, he gets away with it. Like, he's not going to find this kid again. Like, it's not like he knows their names. It's not like it gives yeah, him, like, a burned-in image of who it is. Yeah, he has to follow. Yeah, and then the other guy who, the racist, all these people, three of the four people get away with their crime. And because the one crime is escalated to murder, he goes with that one. In and of itself now becomes a dilemma for him as a hero because now he has to decide who he avenges and who he doesn't it definitely puts him in a predicament because he's kind of a hero but he's kind of making his own decisions right then and there who he thinks deserves to be punished and who gets to get away with things that's a very yeah definitely tough spot like it's not your normal hero because most hero movies the bad guy is very defined and we're going to go after him and we're going to get him and everyone's going to be happy and we're going to save the day kind of thing where this is very much like you get to pick and choose it's now in your fucking uh court to decide yeah it's like you deciding your hero's duty would you have made it as far as the killer or would you have gone after somebody instantly oh yeah i Racist wouldn't have gone after yeah i know i was my first <laughs> thought been like, like real quick yeah it would have been fast like it would have like, just been a oh, quick you like to you, you like to throw glass bottles eh? yeah yeah it, it would have been like i would have found a glass bottle in the trash and it would have gone up his ass that's exactly what would have happened wouldn't oh. have killed him <laughs> Immediately, but it, I definitely would have put a fucking glass bottle up his asshole. There's no doubt in my mind. Then there's the rapist. You know, yeah, like, like got the guitar. He already has a guitar with him. You can stick that right up. His mom and dad are there. And you can't walk over there and accuse him of something because then you look like a fucking wacko yourself. You know what I mean? Like, and my Shyamalan really painted a very interesting look at superheroes. As modern real people, the dilemmas, because all superhero stuff, like, you know, like even in the Avengers, it's we're after Thanos, we're after these, we're after super villains, we're after these guys who are just awful and horrible. And we have a very defined definition. Even in Batman, we have the rogues gallery. We know who the bad guys are, you know, in our mind. That's where painted them. But in reality, it's not as simple as that. Like, and also show that the people you pass, you just don't know what skeletons they have. Would you want that as a power? Would you want to be able to see the evils that people have done? Oh, that'd be. It would, it, I can imagine it would. His your career as a superhero would be very short. I feel like you duck. You would uh, shy away from doing this after a while. It'd be very tolling quickly. Yes, and I think that's too what he's kind of showing here too by having him see so many things. Is it's like him really deciding whether or not he's going to go through with this? Like, should I really? Like, is this because I have this power? Do I need to do this now? Matt gave us a great segue. Look at that superpower. And his decision to do exactly that is the fifth and final reason you should watch this movie. Number five. And that is the rescue. So he follows this. I don't, Anander yeah, dressed like a I, yeah, guard. A, 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 seems that to be like some kind of serial killer. Home. 
Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely a serial killer. He was a combination of a lot of serial killers you, you've seen in TV before, or TV or movies. It, like They took little bits and pieces of and put them together. So he follows him home to this very nice, swanky, probably suburb just outside of Philadelphia. And... He's in shadow when he walks into the house, and he goes to the door that leads to the basement, which he has no idea leads to the basement. He just sees a door, and he opens it to see what's in there. It could have been a fucking downstairs bathroom for all he knew. It's not like he had the map (laughs) of the house. I don't want people to think like he walked in knowing where everything was. He had no idea. But when he opens the door, we get to see from his perspective what he's looking at. But when we come back to the original shot, back by the entrance he came into the back door, he is lit up by the stairwell light. And we see his face and his green coat. And then when he closes the door, he's back in dark shadow, which I thought was awesome. And everything behind him is lit up, too. So he's just in silhouette, which is such a comic book look to it. It was so fucking cool. Yeah, very Batman-esque. Very reminiscent of, obviously, probably uh, Frank Miller's Dark Knight, for sure. He definitely was leaning in on some of that for some of this treatment that he did. However, he wasn't Batman. He didn't have any special gadgets and stuff like that. That's the other cool thing, though. He didn't have special gadgets. It wasn't like he had like x-ray vision or like, you know, laser eyes like Superman has or have some kind of battering or bat of this or whatever. Bat, yeah. bat vibrating. Bat everything. Or bat every, so, fucking, <laughs> so fucking ridiculous. He didn't have like the lasso from Wonder Woman. Like he didn't have any special trinkets. It was just him. Him and this raincoat. Yeah. It just had brute force. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. And he doesn't even know what brute force he has. He doesn't. You know, like yeah. he doesn't know what his full length of. He can bench 350. But what does that mean? That just means he can pick things up and put it down. You know, yeah, I always find that very know, like, interesting when you see these meatheads walk around in the malls who just do nothing but lift weights all day long. You know, they like walk around. They can barely keep their arms to their side because their pectoral muscles and their biceps are so close together. They don't realize that that makes their hands almost inability to touch. So makes it very unlikely to be able to be good in a fight. If they grab you, they might be able to shake you and crush you. But in a quick fight, they can't throw a punch for shit. I don't understand why some guys get so big. Like, you can't throw a punch, pal. Like, you can't get your arm down to zip your pants. Who are you throwing a punch at? (laughs) So, but just because you can lift things doesn't mean you can fight. I pick things up and put them down. Case in point is, is in the military, anyone who is a military member will know what I mean when I say a range Rambo. A range Rambo is someone who, when they're on a gun range, is... Rambo, they can hit anything dead eye. They're killing the fuck out of something that's not moving or shooting back at you. But when they get into a real firefight situation, they shit their pants and couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat in the middle of the ocean. So it's easy to shoot something when there's no pressure on you and it's not moving and shooting at you and your life's not in danger. It's a whole different thing when that scenario is completely flipped on its ear. Much like these guys who just lift everything in a gym and then they walk around like they're the toughest fucking thing ever and you're just kind of like you didn't do legs first of all we can tell like you look like you're about to fall over on these little tiny stilts (laughs) and most guys who lift like this don't do cardio so they're not chasing anybody so right off the bat you're already fucking yourself up yeah if they grab a hold you're probably gonna squeeze the shit out of you but they gotta grab a hold of you first they gotta get you quick jabs quick here and there you could beat one of these guys anyways that being said, we don't have this problem with Bruce Willis' character, but he has just been lifting weights. He doesn't know what he can and can't do. Like, this is this is a very dangerous trial run. A very dangerous trial run. He may yeah. have wanted to go after the racist oh, yeah. first. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> yeah. and put a pin in the other guy. He might be like, you know what, Steve, how I do with this racist piece of shit who just likes to throw bottles of old black people walking. Yeah, I feel like yeah, at this point he like didn't care anymore. I think he was just like, if this was his way where he was just like, 
if he goes and dies, he dies. If he dies, he dies. Do you think like, he, was he was buying like, into his own mind? Like he, like before, he was very yeah. I think at this very point, like he, you know light footed. He he didn't want to buy into anything. He was like, no, I'm not a superhero. I'm just a, I'm just a normal guy. Do you think like now he's like reading his own press clippings? Like at this point, he's like, you know what? I am a badass. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like, think there was a part of it. I think he he definitely was. He was feeling that, and then he was just like, okay, well, th- there's how much further. Can I go to take this? This is a this is the end all test. This is my final test to know like okay, I can't be stopped. Like this giant janitor serial killer, like fucking he was Ted huge. Bundy. Yeah. He, he was like fucking uh, <laughs> Ted Bundy. Uh, John Wayne Gacy on steroids. Yeah, he was big. He was a big dude. He was a big guy. It's creepy because there's a lot of sounds, which is another great job that M Night does. There's a lot of like. Beer bottles, glass bottles being moved in the house. Like, we don't know where he is, but he's making noises, and we yeah, can't tell if he's making noise just to make noise. Or, But Bruce is able to free two kids, older kids. Um, they've been tied up in their bathroom. And he goes into the bedroom to try to free their mom, who's also tied up. But when he's in there, he realizes that the sliding glass door that they have at their house is open, so he goes out. It Another great trope. Wind's blowing the curtains. You can't see anything. It's, you know, it's all very similar tropes. You know what I mean? But yeah, it, it, it works. And he goes out, and he doesn't see anybody. And then all of a sudden, He-Man there is there, and he pushes him over the railing. And, of course, where do you think he lands, folks? On a fucking pool cover. Because it is his fucking kryptonite. Some stuff happens, and the kids help get him out of the water, but he cannot get out of the water. Although, he is being wrapped up in the pool cover. So, in all fairness, it's not like he can't get out and swim. It's like all of a sudden, he's landed face flat on this pool cover, and it suddenly sinks into the pool. And as it does, it's wrapping him up like a taco. So, he's struggling to get the fuck out of it. These kids help him get out, the older kids, and so he goes back into the house to take on this guy. And while you're in there, the, the mother's laying there, and she either has her eyes closed or looks unconscious, and he's, like, spitting beer at her, which is just so fucking disgusting and disturbing when he's doing that. And you're just kind of like, what a fucking piece of shit. Like, you want him to die so badly. And then Bruce Willis comes up behind him and basically rear naked chokes him. And we know he's strong, but he doesn't take him down immediately, and this big giant man just starts thrashing around the room with him, like slamming him against walls. And it's his imperviousness to pain and being hurt that is what his real superpower is because he's able to hold on to the guy and choke him out until he's fucking dead. And then yeah. in this heroic moment, we think, oh, you know, you're, you're rooting for him. And it was really cool because, you know, most superhero movies, you know, you know, guy's got his back to him. Like if it's fucking... You know, Logan, he's putting his fucking claws through his back, up through, comes out through the middle. Other people might be snapping his neck or something cool, but he's choking him out and eventually kills him. And he goes over and he undoes the lady's hands, who we think is unconscious, and she just falls to the floor. And we realize she's already dead. Yeah. So it's a very bleak. Just the way the, the amount of damage it shows, like to the walls from him just like being thrashed around. Him. Yeah. So it, cool. It is, it is cool. It's so cool. And yeah, it's it's not like yeah, like Logan or like even fucking Superman where he like throws a punch and misses and like takes out like would have made one of the those size like, human size in the wall. Yeah, in the wall. yeah. Like, the whole entire piece of drywall is fucking yeah. gone. It's like three blocks down. Yeah. Like oh, it's not like that. He doesn't. Yeah, he didn't like come in, kick the fucking door, or, like through, through the house. 
Well, like, another yeah. great thing, I don't know if you remember this, but in that struggle, we go God's eye view again. And we watch them. Like, yeah. the whole thing is done in one take where he's getting slammed in the wall. Like, we watch them go around the room. Got to give those guys credit, those actors and that stuntman, because we know it's not Bruce Willis because the hood's pulled down. Bruce Willis, it was 20 years <laughs> ago, even then, in his 40s or 50s, not, not cover doing this it. shit. They're like, no, yeah. we can't risk him getting fucking hurt on us. We'd be fucked. But it was yeah, so no, fucking cool. The whole film is a bunch of long takes. And yes, it's so fucking done great. very very well. But it's just so cool what they what M Night Shyamalan set up. It's an amazing telling of a superhero story without it being over the top, with it being more realistic of what a superhero could be in our day, without it you know being some kind of like radioactive spider biting you, or you're fucking around with fucking gamma rays, yeah. or you're born a god, or all these crazy things that usually you have heroes. I love the god one because it's so yeah. simple. Like he didn't choose that you were, you <laughs> yeah. were chosen. Yeah, well, like Superman, like Superman is born on his planet. He's just a peon, but here with he's our son, normal. he's like, oh, fuck everyone up. Like I'm invincible here. It's just those yeah. kind of cool. That's how our superheroes normally are, but this really turned it on its ear. Mr. Price, can we talk about the note that you left on my car? I've studied the form of comics intimately. I spent a third of my life in a hospital bed with nothing else to do but read. I believe comics are our last link to an ancient way of passing on history. The Egyptians drew on walls. Countries all over the world still pass on knowledge through pictorial forms. I believe comics are a form of history that someone somewhere felt or experienced. Then, of course, those experiences and that history got chewed up in the commercial machine, got jazzed up, made titillating cartoon for the sale rack. This city has seen its share of disasters. I watched the aftermath of that plane crash. I watched the carnage of the hotel fire. I watched the news, waiting to hear a very specific combination of words, but they never came. Then one day, I saw a news story about a train accident, and I heard them. There is a sole survivor, and he is miraculously unharmed. I have something called osteogenesis imperfecta. It's a genetic disorder. I don't make a particular protein very well, and it makes my bones very low in density, very easy to break. I've had 54 breaks in my life, and I have the tamest version of this disorder, type 1. There are type 2, type 3, type 4. Type 4s don't last very long. So that's how it popped into my head. If there is someone like me in the world, and I'm at one end of the spectrum, couldn't there be someone else, the opposite of me at the other end? Someone who doesn't get sick, who doesn't get hurt like the rest of us. And he probably doesn't even know it. The kind of person these stories are about. A person put here to protect the rest of us. To guard us. It's time to make some lists. All right, so this week... We are going to be talking about our top five superhero movies to start off. I thought we did this already. I went back and looked, and we hadn't. So I was glad that we hadn't talked about this because otherwise, I was like, we didn't do any superhero movies. So I was like, well, we couldn't have talked about superhero <laughs> yeah. movies. I know we've talked about franchises, and a lot of the superhero movies have fallen into those franchises. Into those categories. But, yeah. however, <laughs> that wasn't the topic at the time. So this being an odd week, number 51, one more to go. 
before we end season one. Matt, this will be the last time you get to start off, and you'll start it off when we start season two, you piece of shit. (laughs) But go ahead and give us your number five superhero movie. My number five is the amazing Ryan Coogler-directed Black Panther. So fucking good. Gave us the only Black Panther that we'll ever know, Chadwick Boseman, yeah. RIP. So fantastic. Did Gave you see us... What If? For those of you who have not seen Marvel's What If, gonna, he makes I'm his last get... appearance. He, that's, yeah, I heard. As I not, not the Black Panther, it. but as, as Star-Lord. Yeah. As Star-Lord. Phenomenal. Fantastic. Yeah, I heard, and they do it in memorum yep. for him, too. I was like, ah. the other day I thought about watching it, I was like, no, You'll be surprised too, at how many of the original voices are in that. And you'll be surprised yeah, some of the yeah. things that come in. It. It's amazingly done. They did an amazing job with it. It looks good. The first episode was great. But yeah, no. Um, Black Panther's fantastic. Killmonger, so fucking good as a villain. He was fantastic. You know, he was the most grounded yes, yes. MCU villain in yes. a long time. And where a lot of them is were all he a villain? Like, eh, you know, because no, not really. Because his father was killed by T'Challa's father. So, like, there's a right. lot of reasons for him to want vengeance and want this it, you know he was created by, by his family you know what i mean like it wasn't like he was born for yeah. this yeah he's the opposite of batman exactly and since he's blood he should have been brought into the fold long ago right you exactly. know like he shouldn't so have been slept like at that it. moment when that happened he should have brought him into the fold like but hey that's on them so good though yeah the the two of them are great together ensemble cast fucking massive fantastic movie can't wait to see what Ryan Cooler Cooler does with the second one with the whole whole uh, Black Panther Wakanda universe. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Interestingly enough, it kind of ties into my number five as he plays Star-Lord in the What If. I'm talking about my number five being the original Star-Lord, and that is Guardians of the Galaxy. As I've said many times, Guardians of the Galaxy was a movie I was not looking forward to. I thought because they had a talking tree and a talking raccoon, it was going to suck. But because I go to see all the Marvel ones, because I, too, am a fucking sheep when it comes to them, because I just want to see what they're going to do, because sometimes they're amazing, and sometimes you're like, oh, oh, that was all right. Guardians of the Galaxy blew me away. It absolutely suckered me. I did not see it coming. I didn't think it was going to be as good as it was, and I absolutely fucking fell in love with it. It's still one of my favorites of that universe, and I've pretty much just given away the fact that of the MCU movies, it's probably the only one. Because I just said it's my favorite of that universe So there may not be any more of those on my list That being said, I will now kick it to Matt Because I've gushed about Guardians more than enough That'll bring it to my number four being Spider-Man 2 From Mr. Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire, Fred Molina Or Alfred Molina Me and him are on a different level And he's coming back and he's coming Ooh. back. Such a, how so great excited. did that feel to hear him say, hello, Peter. So excited. Oh, my God. It was, man, so good. He's the only one that's been able to give away more spoilers yeah. about an MCU movie than oh. the sense um, Tom Holland there. So fucking good. To see Molina come out and do it again, he's my favorite of this, and that's why I love Spider-Man yeah. 2 is because of him. He was the one of the best so villains. Oh. Yeah, he was. He was such a great villain. And even like his uh, his non villain character is so good. Like the chemistry between him and Peter as just like oh, lab yeah, partners. Oh, he's great. Oh, he's phenomenal. Fantastic. Absolutely. It's 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 the best of the Sam Raimi trilogy. Hundred percent. In my opinion, it's the it's the best Spider Man film we've had yet. Maybe with. Hmm. Maybe with then you know the next. Uh, I think Spider-Man I think this one. We'll, I think this, this one's going to be the beat. best one. Yeah, I, this but is yeah. going to be by far the best one. There's no doubt in my mind. My number four is the Man of Steel, in my opinion, the best Superman movie 
ever made. I absolutely love it. I absolutely love the story it told. I loved Kevin Costner as Mr. Kent. Um, my disappointment is that they rushed a sequel and making it Batman vs. Superman. An absolutely pointless, horrific fucking movie. I'm so tired of people thinking Batman could ever hold Superman's fucking boots. He's not even in the same league. He couldn't beat Bat. He couldn't beat Superman up if he was asleep in fucking kryptonite underwear. That being said. I loved what they did with this movie, and I really do hope that Zack Snyder will get a chance to actually do an official Man of Steel sequel. Henry Cavill is the best Superman. I know a lot of people like Christopher Reeves. He's Brandon the best. Roth Brandon Roth was like, decent. Under, he was good. He was good. And, like, I felt like he, he got, was good like, in that movie. So I'm not going to say he wasn't. Because of it. Exactly. But I think he looked a lot more like Christopher Reeves, and I think that's why. I think Brandon yeah, Cavill is a much better modern day Superman. He could, yeah. He's if amazing. If Christopher at Reeves it. was alive, like he could play like the double. Exactly. I love him as the, as Superman, and I'm really hoping that they he gets to do an official uh, Man of Steel two, as opposed to the horse shit that he got thrown. He threw himself. I agree. He, he got a tough break because Man of Steel was very very good. With that, I'm going to bring it to my number three being. Avengers Endgame. It's the culmination of years and years and years of work for the MCU to reach there. It's the end of so many beloved characters that we have. It's just, it's it's the superhero epic. And that now, in December, we may have a second superhero epic coming, which is crazy because yeah, it's I not feel like this movie's going to be right along the lines of just below Infinity War. Because Infinity yeah. War and Endgame had everybody. And motherfuckers yeah. are disappearing. You know, like shit was happening. This one is going to be... I think this right is there. Like, yeah, we, we I think know. this is going to be better than Civil War. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I, I yeah. feel like it's going to go Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame. If you were going to go like the epicness of the Marvel movies that we put yeah. together, I think this is going to jump Civil War. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's going to be amazing. Because, yeah, it, it's not, it's not an ensemble. It's not meant to be an ensemble film. Like, right now, we know of two MCU characters. MCU characters that are going to be in it, and then we have a laundry list of Sony characters here's, that can show up. Here's the funny thing: is once again, is Marvel is just teabacking DC again, right? So you get all these Batman movies, but they always fight one major villain. Marvel decided, you know what? We're going to throw all of Spider-Man's villains in one fucking movie, and he's going to deal with all of them. And he's got to deal with them, and he's never dealt with these motherfuckers before. They just think they know him. Like, he is going to, yeah. it's going to be so fucking unbelievable. They're going to throw everything at him. And Batman has, except him of like a video game, Batman has never taken on his rogues gallery all at once. That's the yeah. one thing DC has fucked up. You want, instead of Batman versus Superman, how about Batman versus all of Arkham? Like, somehow he's in Arkham and right. trapped. Like, why has like that Halloween. not happened? Yeah, you know, like yeah, like the, we need like a long Halloween. That's yeah. what I'm hoping that the Batman's gonna be is we're gonna. But get you know what I mean? Like thing. at that point, yeah, it's just like so. Once again, Marvel is just fucking out front of them again. Like they beat them to yeah. they, Avengers outdid the fucking Justice League. Although the most recent his cut was amazing, much better. But like once again, they yeah, they get Spider Man, who has had we think about it, has maybe the best villains since Batman. He's getting all of them at one time, and meanwhile, Batman's still fighting them one by one in the movies. Yeah, he he really is. But yeah, ah, uh, it's so good. Endgame is great, so much fun. Um, but yeah, you know, the pressure that goes on in that writers' room in DC is just like we're always behind. I, I know, always. But don't worry, we're gonna like write doubles. Just of keep doing Suicide Squad at this point because it's the best part yeah. of what they've got. Just hire James Gunn permanently. My number three is an animated movie, and it's The Incredibles. I 
fucking love The Incredibles. My favorite Pixar movie. Oh, I had a feeling. Absolutely love The Incredibles. I love The Incredibles and The Incredibles too, but The Incredibles is such a great story. Such a great superhero story. I absolutely loved it. I remember watching with my my kids and we went as adults. Like we couldn't wait to see the second one and I was not disappointed. I absolutely loved it. I wish they would make a three or even a Frozone spinoff. Like anything at this point. I absolutely loved it. The Incredibles. Samuel L. Jackson. So oh, Samuel L. Jackson. Not just him, but all the characters are great. I mean, little Jack-Jack at the end there. Jack-Jack. Uh, Syndrome is phenomenal as a villain. Like, a little kid who wanted to grow up. Like, he grew up and did what Tony Stark and Bruce Wayne didn't do. He used his billions to become a villain, which I absolutely love the fact that he turned himself into a villain that could almost kill every hero. It was fantastic. I love The Incredibles. Now, I think think our ones and two are going to be very close. I just feel like we're at that place where once again, our ones and twos are going to be very similar. So I'll let you start with your number two. And we'll see if I'm right. With that, I'll bring it to my number two being the end of Wolverine possibly with Logan. So good. Hugh Jackman finally getting the film he deserved after <laughs> doing it for so, so long. Yeah. And some of them were not good and some were great, no. you know, so I yeah. mean, but he was always the best part. This days of future. Do you know what I mean? But like he was always the best oh, part yeah. of all of them. Like he was the best part of X Men. Obviously, was great. X Men One, X Men Two, even X Men Three, where he's forced to kill the Dark Phoenix, which is you know they just threw the playbook out in that one, which I actually appreciate. A lot of people didn't. I'm one of those people. Like if you're not going to stick to a storyline, just come up with your own and just do what the fuck you want. So I appreciate. There's that. I mean, him and Deadpool. That was that was a terrible one. When <laughs> oh, X Men Origins is terrible. But the rest of them are pretty good. I'm going to come out and say that we have flipped. My number two is The Dark Knight. I think that may or may not be Matt's number one. We're going to find out in a second. The Dark Knight is my number two. It is Heath Ledger. It is the best Batman movie. The Dark Knight is my favorite of that trilogy. The rest of the trilogy is okay. I actually prefer the Batman and Batman Returns. I prefer Tim Burton's version of The Dark Knight. He's really The Dark Knight. I mean, he's brutal. But Heath Ledger as the fucking Joker is holy shit, like unfucking believable. He makes that whole movie. You don't even have to see Batman Begins, and you don't have to see Batman. Was it Batman Returns? What was the third one? The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, the um, Dark Knight Rises. You don't Dark need to Knight see Rises, any yeah. of those. You just watch the Skip Dark Knight, and two. you're just you're locked in. It's fucking amazing. It is such a good yeah. fucking movie. It's so good. It's my number I one. I figured. Yeah, we flipped. Yeah. And that's it's, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. So we did. We did a flipper. Yeah, we flipped. Yep. But yeah. It's uh, it's so good. Heath Ledger uh, is fantastic. Best Joker. I would even say he, he beats Joaquin because I don't think Joaquin ever would have well, we got this conversation. Joaquin is not the Joker. Joaquin is a different character who at the end yeah, becomes Alfred. the Joker. Yes, he is not the Joker until the end. It's a whole different. It's a Arthur, whole different movie. You know Arthur. what I mean? Yeah, it's a whole different film. Oh yeah, hundred percent. That's why it's not on my list because it's not. It's not a superhero movie. Like a lot of people, it's not. You know, it's not even really a villain movie. It's just no. to look at humanity and what, yeah, where people can be pushed film. to. Exactly. Well, then now we know that my number one is Logan. Very simple yeah, reason why. I absolutely love what James Mangold did with it. I love the darkness, the bleakness of the story, and I love that they had the balls to do with the Dark Knight and Batman didn't. In the last of that trilogy, which is kill off the fucking hero. I absolutely love the fact that Logan had the balls to kill a beloved character. Yeah. 
to go full R-rated and be like, we're going to kill the hero too. Anybody who is like a Johnny-come-lately MCU fan who suddenly falls in love with the Avengers, the Avengers were not are not the high line of what Marvel used to be. It was Spider-Man, and it was also the X-Men. Those would be your big bread-and-butter people. And the X-Men's biggest star is fucking Wolverine. He is probably the most recognizable character I would put him next to possibly Spider-Man as finding being recognized by people being like, I know who that is. Even if you're not a comic book fan. To kill off Wolverine, your most marketable character, is like killing off Superman and leaving him dead. You know, I know the new MCU is going to come out, so we're probably going to get a new Wolverine, so they're going to change things. But at least where it was, they killed him off. Batman had a chance to do that at the end of The Dark Knight Rises. They chickened out of it. We won't get into it. There's no way he survived that bomb. Not fucking happening. He died. What's his name? That thing at the end? He, the he's dead. He's in a coma and seeing this. Like he's something's happening to Alfred. He's in a, he's Alfred's, Alfred's in the ICU like and nursing this is just home. his death he's home. Having yeah. This is Alzheimer's. Yeah, he's fucking dead. Anyways, but that's why I loved Logan. It was such a dark story. Such a great story. Well, how many movies can you see the trailer and it live up to the hype of the trailer? Not many movies do that. Case in point, the original Suicide Squad. Amazing trailer, shit movie. So there you have it. We have, I think, our last two. The top, Our top two are the only ones we came in together. So that will give you eight superhero movies for which you should go check out along with this movie. Our next list is not an actor this week. We're actually going to flip it on its ear. We're going to do the top five supervillains in film. So... We will start by telling you the supervillain, and obviously you should know what the film is. I will also put out there that there's two on here that I'm going to actually have been played by more than one person, and I will pick my favorite of that person. My number five, we talked about him earlier, is the great Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Love him as Spider-Man 2. Oh, we, are, we, we matched up right off the We're bat? We're already Fantastic. Yep, love right Spider-Man 2, and I know, I know. I'm going to love him. He's going to be so good. In the trailer, did it not feel like the trailer from Force Awakens when Chewbacca and Han Solo walk into the... Yeah, finally. Yeah, it didn't did. it feel it like did. you're like, like yeah. you want to clap? Like you're like, oh my, yeah. you know, it just had that so moment. I feel awesome. like when he comes it on did. screen and the rest of, like especially him and the Green Goblin, but I really love Doc Ock. I think he was the best villain. I mean, don't get me wrong. He was. We've talked about our boy there, the Green Goblin, many times, and we love him. Alfred Molina as Doc it's Ock something, is yeah. so, so fucking good. like... Too perfect as that character. Way too perfect. Like, yeah, it was like he was born to play him. When we talked about in the Sin City episode, a lot of those characters were born to play, like Marv. Mickey Rourke was born to play Marv. Alfred Molina was born to play Doc Ock. The only thing he's missing is like the the Beatles bowl cut from the original Doc Ock, you know, uh, pictures of him, you know, with the original comic book. But yeah, outside yeah, yeah. of that, he's like <laughs> literally perfect. <laughs> He really is. All right, so my number four then is the Mad Titan, Mr. Thumbclick himself, <laughs> Mr. Thanos. Are you, is that your four as well? Two for two. Thanos. <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, he wow. uh, He's great. Like He's so good. Uh, Josh what Josh Brolin brings job. to him. For just like walking around with a giant thing that made his head higher than his body, and that was he's all he did. just so good at it. Like So good. He makes a compelling argument sometimes. Like, you're like, yeah, Jesus. Like, you know what? Like, you like, want to be yeah, like, yeah, that right. is. He's like, it's dispassionate. He I just caused a lot of problems by stopping it. 
<laughs> right? Like, like it's the thing like, is, is what I think Avengers Endgame should have been like, are we really missing out? Like, are we really missing these people? Because as we see as the movie goes, as the, when they come back, a lot of issues have happened in the MCU when they brought those people <laughs> back. Like, people have been displayed. Like, it really didn't help a whole lot. So we're not a whole, we're <laughs> yeah. not really sure if it really helped anything. I love the way they handle it in, uh, in Far From Home uh, with just, like, students that are, like, still, like... Like eighteen, and they're in fucking like ninth grade. They really sidestepped that whole fucking return, you know. Like Avengers yeah. Endgame deals with the fact that they've been gone for five years, and also when they come back, and people are just like, "Yep, right, we're back to life." You know what I mean? You're kind of like, "Oh, okay, okay, that's weird. We're just gonna sidestep this shit." <laughs> yeah, they really did. All right, I know we have the same number one. I'm gonna just put a pin in it. We both know we have the same number one, but we're gonna we're gonna slide yeah, this up. One. We're gonna slide, but I, I want to see if we can keep going. I don't know. This number three might might get you. My number three is Lex Luthor played by Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey is the man. Is that yours or no? Just no. no. Okay, good. No, it's All right, not. good. But At least I knew we, you were gonna have him on here. He's I love he's good. I love Lex Luthor, but Kevin Spacey plays Superman him amazingly. Teams. Yeah, he. Yeah, so I good. wish he could have been in. I wish she would have been in the the new DC version. Not obviously we know why he's not and all these other things. But you know, say what you will about him, he may be a big piece of shit. But he plays an amazing Lex Luthor, an amazing Lex Luthor. And what I loved about it, one of my one of my favorite like Dark Horse Christmas movies is the one is Fred Claus. You know what I'm talking about? And Kevin Spacey, Kevin Spacey's like this numbers cruncher guy, and he like is pissed <laughs> off. It's like he wants to shut Santa down, and yet he gets that Superman cape. It's such a great nod to even this movie, him being Lex Luthor. He's great as Lex Luthor, and so that's why he's my number three. With that, I'll bring it to another villain that has that starts with the letter L, and it's Loki. Great, great villain. He's I feel like he's the first MCU <sighs> villain that made his way full round. Well, That's I why I didn't put him on here. I've I seen the show. I loved him even as... Oh, because he's um, great. He plays a great fucking... He was so good. Yeah. Like in, in the original Avengers, he was fantastic. Fantastic. And we Is there a that. better scene than when the Hulk slams his fucking bitch ass up? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> Just beats him. <laughs> the only better part is when the door has it happened to him and he cheers for it happening. So good. Yes. But yeah, we all love Loki. He's so good. He didn't make my so list because of the show, great. because of his turn in the show. I, that's that's why. Like I don't see him. I don't see him as the villain anymore. Like I, especially at the I, end, I Avengers Endgame, he completely changes who he is. You know what I mean? Like yeah, at true. that point. So that's why. That's the only reason I didn't put him on here is because I because he has an arc, and now I don't see him as a villain anymore. So no, none yeah, of the people on this true. list have. Well, actually, it's maybe a lie because my number two is depending how you look at him. My number two <laughs> is Magneto. I fucking My number two love also. Magneto. And both versions. I didn't put names down because both. I love them both. They so are great. so fucking good. Michael Fassberg and Ian. Oh, I love both them fantastic. both. And in fairness, I will have to admit, in fairness, they do have a bit of a Loki turn in depending which movies you watch. Even in the beginning, like yep. when, you know, Fassberg is just going around killing ex-Nazis. Oh, he's oh, with I the love knife. it. Loved so it. good the bar scene loved it fantastic <laughs> so Love good he's so good uh, you can you can side with magneto much like thanos he they have a point you know what i mean like they're going to hunt us down yeah. they're going oh, yeah, to fuck them let's we are the superior race fuck it this time we we didn't want this issue you want to bring it to us and plus he's also jewish so he already knows how this you know how this can go he's like oh, it's this, not yeah, going to yeah. happen fucking again he's already yeah. seen yeah i have the, the, the power. most extreme yes. yeah yeah oh my only you know Intrepidation of them bringing the X Men into the Marvel Universe is them 
you know, when they did it younger, obviously, I, the original older Magneto, I was like, oh, my God, he's fantastic as an older Magneto. And then when they brought in Fastman, I was like, okay, we've got the two perfect ones. Much like the, the two Professor X's. Like, we've got them. We've got younger yeah, and older. You don't need yeah. to fuck with them. And now... Yeah, you can't fuck with it. However, they are saying Gus Fring could play the MCU version of Professor X being Hispanic slash black. That. that would be kind of cool. That would be a, ch- a I twist. See, I, I would have... doing a great job. Yes. However, I don't know. I don't know how you... Ah, don't change Magneto. I don't know. I really do like them. I don't know who else oh, those, I can see playing them. They're too perfect. Yeah. They're too good. Yeah. So our number one <laughs> yeah. is Heath Ledger as the Joker. It. Yeah? Yep. Yeah. I figured. Yeah. There's never been a more perfect person, and I've said this many times. When I first heard that Heath Ledger was going to play the Joker, because I was a man who loved, absolutely loved Jack Nicholson as the Joker. Thought he was, I was like, how are you going to beat Jack Nicholson? It's Jack fucking Nicholson. Yeah. Like, like, you got a lot of stones thinking it'd be Jack Nicholson. And yet Heath Ledger played it in a way I could never have, have imagined. It was just no, too good could. to be true. Uh, he totally deserved his Oscar, even though it was posthumously. Um, I don't think it was just one of those like, oh, well, we got to give an Oscar. He Absolutely, one hundred percent deserved it. That was gonna beat him, yeah. yeah, that year at all. And I feel like he's he's so great that he even he set the DC bar too high, even for Nolan to handle. Because that's why I feel like the Nolan, first and second, third ones don't do I, well. Yeah, because I just feel like there was without his untimely death. I feel like the third act, the third film was probably gonna have. There's no way it was like, oh, yeah. the end goal of this is to reach Bane. No, you. you I think you, the end goal of that was Bane to be used as you, a tool by the Joker, as opposed to yeah. anything else. You know, I don't think there was. Or you know what though, that that may be wrong too, because the Joker was just basically an anarchist. I don't think he even would have teamed up with Bane. You know what I mean? Who who knows yeah, what could have been? Because he's all by himself. It. Yeah, he, he was a completely yeah. different version of the Joker. Kudos, yeah. though, to DC or the people who have done the movies. All three versions of the Joker are completely different. And those who aren't well-versed in the DC world, there are like 27 iterations of the Joker. Yeah. My second favorite version of the Joker, though, and maybe a Let close 1A, you already know. You already know. Mark Hamill? Mark fucking Hamill as yeah, the animated so Joker good. and the one he does in the video games. He is a close second. Like him and Heath Ledger could really go toe-to-toe. Obviously, Heath Ledger did him in the flesh, so that makes him the best. But Mark Hamill's version as, yeah, god so damn, he's so fucking good as him. Underrated voice actor. Amazing voice actor. <laughs> amazing so voice actor. An amazing human being on social media. Oh, yeah. Totally breaks away from his whiny bitch persona of young Luke Skywalker. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, he's nothing like him at all. You're he always really like, does. oh. Oh, yeah. But so there you go. <laughs> we have the Joker. He's just, he's just perfect. So we have only one different. We have six with which you can check out. And you'll have to figure out who the real villain of the movie we just talked about is. So we won't give that away either. You should have figured it out. But, you know, some people are slow. (laughs) Some people are slow. So you now have six super villains in film to watch along with our eight superhero movies. We have one to go. One to go. One. One. We're starting September. the first year. And we're starting with a whole different genre that we have not touched. We're going to end our first season with the first movie of the genre, and then we're going to kick off our second season keeping going through the genre. And it's a movie that if you've been paying close attention to, we have talked about, especially early on in our first season. We brought it up probably more than we needed to. And it was the reason why I decided we were going to close with it. So you'll have to find out what our last episode of our first season is next week. So until then, watch this or die. (laughs) 
So that will do it for this week's installment. Once again, we would both like to thank you for hanging out with us and letting us gush all over you about this movie. Now, we do hope that you will enjoy it as much as we have, so please let us know what you thought of this movie by reaching out to us on our social media platforms. Now, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watch This or Die. Also, feel free to DM us your thoughts of this week's film. You can always give us your own top five list, tell us what you did or didn't like about the show, and even suggest some movies for us to watch. Now, we hope you will join us again next week for our next movie recommendation. And as always, I'm Scott Crosher. I'm Matt LeClaire. And until next time, watch this or die.